Hello, welcome to an episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today I'm with Bart and Raphael, two engineers from Buzz. Is it Buzz or Join Buzz? I always see the two words. It should be Buzz, right? It's Buzz. But you can find us at joinbuzz.com, though. It's uh, uh, the domain, Finding domains can be a little bit hard. So Buzz, uh, as you may expect, buzz.com was already taken. So where you go by joinbuzz.com. Yeah, that's the part that always confused me for quite some time, but I think I have it down now. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves and what you do over at Buzz? For sure. Um, I can start. Uh, so I'm a software engineer, as you said, as, at Boss. Uh, I work from Spain, but uh, Boss is originally um, a Swedish startup and we all work remotely. So that's a, a cool part. Um, I do front-end development at Boss. Uh, we both also do back-end development at Boss because we use um, ServerPod, which, as you may know, it's a backend tool that you can basically write in Dart. Uh, so we both do a lot of backend and front-end development. And yeah, really excited to like talk Flutter and talk a little bit about our product as well. Yeah, and I'm Bart. I'm also a software developer uh, here at Bus. Uh, I'm also doing like some front-end work and some backend work uh, with, with uh, ServerPod and, and of course Flutter. And yeah, I'm excited to speak about Bus. Yeah, um, Buzz has been, well, quite buzzing along, I think, with all the work you guys have been doing, right? You initially, I think, was only web when you first started off. Is that right? Yeah, it was, um, we kind of pivoted a bit. We started doing, um, like, a tool that was basically um, a, vir a virtual version of your office. So if you could, if you wanted to, like, tap in someone's shoulders, you could contact them immediately. You could do audio calls, video calls. And we used, um, it was also a Flutter application and uh, we used, uh, yeah, a lot of um, like real-time communications for that. But um, basically there were a couple of things that made us pivot into this new tool that we're using. Um, we're, we're building it in Flutter for macOS and now we're also supporting Windows. And basically we pivoted a lot and we're no longer doing uh, video calls or audio calls, but we're sort of showing you um, what your day looks like and what your tasks are. Uh, in GitHub are, what your calendar looks like, and what your teammates are up to as well. So it's a little bit more of a tool that shows you um, in, in one click uh, what your day looks like and what your teammates are up to. Yeah, I saw that. You're, you're really integrating to different calendars and, and also, I think, uh, GitHub and maybe some other source controls, right? So how, how does this actually this work? How do you get all the integrations going? Is everything running locally or how, how does everything kind of work? Yeah, yeah. Like mo mostly the integrations are, so for, for the calendar, uh, for, for now, it's it's just using the, the Google Calendar API, uh, and we are uh, we have a server on using ServerPod, uh, which uses like uh, mm, the Google API. It has all the uh, clients included in the in the ServerPod framework to to access the Calendar API. Uh, so we can just use that like you know to fetch calendars of people like periodically every or thirty seconds or every minute minute and then just using real-time communication, with, which is also included in server post framework, uh, we can just you know, show, show the calendar for users. And for GitHub, we are also like, directly communicating with the GitHub API for now. Uh, so there's nothing fancy, I, I would say, about it. We are not using any like, external third-party service that integrates with um, like, multiple uh, other uh, services, but like, we are using APIs directly from Google and from, from GitHub. 
and Slack as well. Uh, yeah, we also have a Slack integration, which allows you to like sync your um, your status based on your calendar events. Or also, if you're in a huddle in Slack, you could also sync that as your um, status in in Boss. You can also just click on someone's um, uh, profile to go and DM them in Slack, which is also quite handy. Okay, uh, I'm just trying to think. So this is actually aimed at developers, right? For having developers talk with is, is it only with each other or is it a whole company-wide kind of thing because it seems like it's really more developer focused when i saw a lot of the features yeah ideally it's for product teams but we understand that like developers are um like there's a we're seeing a few pain points that we think that uh, can really help developers so many of our features are currently aimed at developers but we actually want to uh have product teams and and basically different types, types of teams work together. So not all of our features are dever, developer focused, but I guess our GitHub integration is quite, um, yeah, it's it's trying to solve one of the biggest pain points, pain points that we see, and it's like GitHub, GitHub notifications. I don't know if you've um, recently used GitHub for uh, professional work, but you get like a hundred emails just with every change, every comment. It's like email hell. And we're trying to like solve this and, and think of a better way of showing the current status of your pull request and to see uh, basically notifications when someone, uh, like really non-intrusive notifications when someone updates something. And if it's relevant to you, we'll show you a notification. Otherwise, uh, you can just see the list of things that you have. Um, that part is really developer focused. And also like one thing we, like we, it happens to us as devs is that when you have to join a calendar event, sometimes you like have to context switch a lot and go to like uh, through your tabs just to see where you have your calendar or Gmail and, and just like join it from there. Another thing we added is just um, notifications for when your event is about to start, like uh, two minutes, or you can actually set the amount of minutes that you want to be notified that your event will start and you can just join it from there. It's also quite handy because like sometimes you have a lot of things during your day and you really don't know because you're like focused at coding, uh, focused in coding. So it's a quite a handy tool. So I guess we're not like 100% going uh, at the developer target, but in some way, like our features are really convenient for developers. Yeah, like one part um, of like the GitHub integration, like for, for example, I find useful for myself. It's like uh, Rafa mentioned, it's just like the list of PRs I'm currently working on and I can see like all the approvals of people um, in, 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 in my current organization. I, I can see like all the, co all the comments, incoming comments for my PRs, but it's not only related to like my work, but I can also check uh, some of the work done by, by my teammates, right? So uh, if I'm an in, uh, engineering manager, for example, uh, at a product team, uh, I could like when, when there's a standup or uh, when I want to see the progress of my team, I can just, you know, glance uh, at all the open PRs uh, within my organization, just check which ones are, are idle, uh, which ones are like, you know, pending for like a lot of time or need uh, approval. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot to it, like um, just to understand like what's, what's going on uh, in your organization uh, work. Now I saw, like you said before, you're trying to kind of cut down on the emails. Do the emails still come or do those get silenced so that you only get notifications for GitHub? They don't get silenced automatically. Um, it's it's a possibility that we would add such a such an option to like silence your GitHub emails and just rely on Boss. But for now, uh, you would have to do that manually. But it's just not, it's just easier to find uh, the current changes um, by just having them in a list or, or by getting notified in those notifications, but they don't actually get turned off. 
uh, you could just like uh, ignore them or uh, just like archive them or something similar. Uh, it, it's an interesting possibility though to be able to like disable them from the tool. We'll uh, we'll probably look into that. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, because I, I saw that one of the things you're trying to promote is like okay, cut cut off the email part and just get the notifications, right? Now, are you limited to only one Git, GitHub organization? For now, for now, uh, yeah, we decided that uh, this this is going to be the case uh, that we are showing uh, only in the context of one organization. But we are looking into expanding into personal uh, repositories as well, or like multiple ones as well. Yeah. Yeah, you could also connect the tool to different organizations, and then you you there's actually a setting for changing which one you want to see. So if you're part of, a, of or two organizations, you can actually go into settings and swap, um, just switch uh, to see the ones that are relevant to your current, um, say for some people work like one day for this company, uh, the next day, like Mondays they do. Uh, if you're a consultant, maybe your uh, Mondays you do one startup, Tuesdays you do a larger company, uh, Wednesday you go back to the start to the startup, then it makes sense for you to be able to switch it. And it's a possibility that we're currently offering. Yeah, because um, the one thing that I have is that I actually I'm doing several different projects at the same time. And so like one, maybe I don't have much work to do on, so I'm doing something else. And all of a sudden I get a PR I have to review from another organization. So if, if I need to keep switching to see what's going on, that can be a little bit annoying. It'd be nice to be able to have all of your orgs at one place. Because even, um, yeah, it, when you run a consultancy, right, a lot of times like I get a separate email for a client because they want all the stuff to be on their domain. A separate GitHub account could be, uh, and and separate like all everything, right? Just to kind of keep things kind of clean, and so not having all of those together would be a little bit tricky for some consulting companies, as I could see. Because I know, like every time I start a project, I got a new email <laughs> every time. So in order to handle the emails, I have Mailplane, and I have just one Mailplane client open up. All my emails are there, and I can see all stuff coming in. That works out for me, but it'd be really cool to have all of the orgs, everything kind of like. You know, it'd be cool to have like a focus view. So you have like one org and like your email and all that stuff in one. But if you can have like a combined thing, that would be really nice to have. Yeah, it's something it's something we're looking into. And also um, we've recently added this um, basically collapsible um, panels for your uh, for your calendar or, or your personal uh, PRs or uh, like the, the PRs that are relevant to you or, the, or the, just like the open PRs in your team. And you can actually collapse them and just hide what you don't need at the time. So in the case that you mentioned, eventually if we add like several organizations, we could probably go that uh, route of just like letting you collapse what's not relevant to you at the moment and show you um, just the organization that you want to have uh, open. And you could just easily collapse them or expand them uh, as needed. Yeah, that, that, that probably could work. Uh, uh, yeah, everything kind of started off with, like we talked at the beginning, we started off at, at, at web, right? You had, I think you guys were the first ones using ServerPod before ServerPod kind of really came about, or at least it was like the kind of like the guinea pig. Like how, how was that working with ServerPod so far in the beginning of when it was starting off? Uh, in the beginning, it was um, a little bit easier as we had Victor's, um, Victor was uh, part of the team for a while and he built most of, uh, yeah, we were sort of the, the guinea pig for ServerPod. And like, as we had like more access to like uh, being able to just, uh just document what uh what we wanted and how like what kind of feature we wanted and basically have uh victor build it into server pod was really convenient um but it's been growing and maturing and uh right now it's a, a really convenient tool for us it's like um just not, not having to worry about 
data serialization and not having to worry about like converting everything back and forth is really uh really convenient for us yeah there's there's a lot of stuff like to server but like that we are using and like implementing all of the parts parts separately take a lot of time like there is support like for file uplo uploading or like real-time communication that we are using uh within bus uh there's caching like with redis or like it includes authentication uh, with with Google, Apple, email, etc. Uh, yeah, it's it's just very useful like to get started having all of that functionality built in, and it's also a full stack Dart on like both the backend and frontend, so it's 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 easy to switch contexts between uh, the backend and frontend part. Yeah, and do you guys actually co-locate your code? Because I've seen like Victor kind of promotes that co-location of code where you have like your your client and your server code in like the same repo? Do you have the same style or no? We have a mono repo in which we like inside of uh, one of the um, directories, we have the server and then uh, that other generates, generates the client. And then we can consume that other, um, that other directory from the, from our application. Right. So basically we just work mono repo. We create everything in the server that like creates a client. This is like one of the features that ServerPod offers. And then we just use that client as a package in our uh, uh, front-end application. Okay, so you do have the mono repo. Does that actually cause any problems or do you feel that that actually works out very well? I think it works well because you can just open inside of, uh, I use VS Code for development. You can just open the directory that you're working on uh, and just work from that one. So when we're working on the front-end application, everything is quite, quite smooth. And then we have a Docker container for running um, yeah, the, the server, and then we just switch to that when we want to uh, build a feature in the backend. Yeah, I, I think it's like, I, I just find it really fast. Uh, you can just, it's really easy to context switch like that. But it's like also at the same time, um, when we are using monorepo, uh, let's say that like there is a, a change to uh, server pod, or there is a change to the shared client, um, between frontend and backend. And like when, when there are GitHub actions. Uh, we can just validate, for example, if there's a change to, to the, a shared package, like we just build and test every other package we have, right? So we can build and test frontend, we can build and test the backend, and we can build and test uh, the shared package because we know that all of them de depend on the same uh, kind of shared contracts, right? Uh, yeah, so it's also like a useful thing that it's, it lives in, in, in a single place. Now, does this mean that you guys are running some type of like full and integration test because you have server pod and the other one together? So you can really, you know, turn on server pod, maybe seed some data, turn on your app, run through some scenarios and then spin it down. Do you do something like that or no? I believe we do have a few integration tests like for, for server pod, but mostly mo most of them are uh, just unit tests for now. Um, for server pods, like separately for, for server pod or, or the front end app. Yeah. We don't have that many integration tests. Now, um, for the current web app, I mean, is that still running right now? Um, we actually phased it out, uh, I would say two weeks ago, perhaps. Um, it, it, we're just using, we just use it for like internal stuff. Uh, but yeah, the web app is no longer live. We're just relying on the desktop tool now and just going the flutter for desktop wave, which is uh, another, another year, a whole other story. It's quite interesting. You can't say some story is quite interesting and not tell me the story, right? <laughs> well, it's just our, our app is really specific in, in the requirements, right? So we, it's not just a matter of opening a window and have everything lived inside of that window. But 
we're using, we're, we're, we created um, a menu bar um, application. So just setting everything up for like how Windows should behave and how like we should um, not only support our, our like home um, like, like boss window, but also if we have settings and notifications, we had to basically go ahead and modify um, a few packages just to get it working as we wanted. So things like the app hiding when you click outside of it, those things were just not built into any um, plugins or any packages that we could use. So it was quite um, quite a challenge to like customize everything so that it worked how we how we needed it to. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that's nice about the web part is that you can freely update and people kind of have to almost use the the new version, right? Unless, of course, they just don't refresh their page. Now, with the desktop app, doesn't that kind of bring some problems where, you know, you may have some bugs and people refuse to update the app? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we, we we actually, so the process like of deployment and, and distributing the app on desktop is like a, a bit more complex than, for example, on, on mobile as well. Because uh, apart from, you know, signing the app and pushing the app, uh, you also need to get, go through the process of notarizing the app, uh, which is just checking for malicious software mm, within your macOS application. Uh, and then you have to staple the app as well. I know Rafa built all of that workflow and spent like a lot of time just preparing the deployment of, 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 of macOS app. But th there's a few steps involved there, right? And then at, in the end, when you notarize the app, staple the app, sign the app, uh, et cetera, you, you, you can distribute the app either to like Mac, Mac App Store um, or you can just distribute the, the executable file on your website. And uh, that's what we are doing at the moment. And um, as you mentioned, like with, with the updates, uh, before we didn't have any like automatic updates for, for the app. If, if, you, if you publish your app to Mac, Mac App Store, uh, you have automatic updates of the app by default, right? Uh, because it, it includes those automatic updates functionality. Uh, but if you are going with the way of publishing your app on your own website, uh, then you need to provide your own like mechanism for updating the app. And it wasn't very clear at the beginning, but we decided to go with the Sparkle project. Uh, there's like a tool for... Uh, releasing the app updates uh, and then there's an SDK for both macOS and Windows. Uh, for Windows it's called WinSparkle, which would automatically check if there's like a new uh, update and update the app. So it's a, a bit more effort just just to achieve the automatic update of the of the app with Mac, with macOS or Windows. Now, how do you handle people who just kind of refuse to to update the app? So that's uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a of of a pain for us because uh, as as like we share the same classes between um, the the client and the server. Sometimes, like when we modify things and we want to deprecate them, it's um, it's quite hard to deprecate because we we're not 100% sure that all of the users are in the same version as you would in um, when like using Flutter web, you would know that like everyone is running um, the latest version. That is not the case. And we've run into some issues of like trying to deprecate things and then seeing that like just something would, would break uh, in, in, in like the, the serialization of, um, of our classes. It, it, it's, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> So you, you recognize the problem, but you, you you don't have any kind of solid solution yet, right? I mean, we could eventually just 
set the updates as, as mandatory and prevent users from using the application uh, if they don't update it. But for the moment, I think um, our, our updates are not mandatory. We just, um, yeah, we just have the tool for you to automatically update them. And then you would just have to restart it. Just It's just a second. And we believe that users yeah. probably want to experiment our new features. So that's also something that like, if it's an easy process as like we've built it to be, then uh, we're not too worried about users staying on older versions. Yeah, we, we, we make sure that every API, new API that we introduce is like backwards compatible uh, with the, the, the previous version versions of BAS. Uh, and we, we considered uh, like building the mandatory flag. So, so like a it's called critical updates in Sparkle. So it's definitely supported in, in Sparkle. Uh, like we, we just haven't looked into building that yet. Uh, yeah. Now, it sounds like there's not a lot of benefits when you have web, at least for the updates part and thing, deprecating things, right? What was the idea to, to say, okay, we need to go to desktop only and, and junk the, the web app, right? What was the, the thought process? Yeah, basically what we wanted to build was an app that lived in your menu bar or in your taskbar, in menu bar in Windows or in your um, taskbar, uh, sorry, menu bar in Mac and taskbar in Windows. So basically it's, it's an app that's um, just constantly hidden for you and you can... Uh, you can just uh, click on the icon on the menu bar and just show the application, click on it again to hide it. And then also if you have a calendar event, it will set the, the status, that, like the text inside of that, um, uh, just by the icon as your current event. So right now I have the app open and I see that we have, uh, that I have the meeting with you for this uh, podcast. Um, it's something that like would have been very challenging to do with Flutter Web because you would also have to like wrap everything inside of Electron and and build like the desktop stuff for the like the tray um, the tray icon and then the tray manager for both Windows and macOS. And what we wanted to do uh, was to have a really performant app, and we believe that like the best way to go was to just uh, build it for the desktop and not have uh, a wrapper around that. Yeah, I I see. So. That, that makes sense. But I almost think that you could do most of the stuff with web because you do have push notifications within web browser, right? But that wouldn't solve issues of mobile, but you're not really focusing too much on mobile, right? Only on desktop. For the moment, yeah. Um, our notifications are, are custom though. We used to, uh, at some point we had uh, push notifications on web, but we changed that because we wanted to have uh, custom design for our notifications and also um, I don't know if it happens to you, but like I, I get way too many push notifications on my Mac, and it's super easy to ignore them. Like I'm seeing, just like they, they when you use things like Slack, you just get a bunch of notifications, and sometimes they stay there for a while. And uh, we wanted to like make them more customizable and just show them to the user um, in in a different way. Also, like being able to have several links inside of the notifications is something that we could accomplish uh, going the the manual way. Um, just like we built our own solution for notification. Yeah. And with, with like having the app on, on the web, it's still pretty much the same problem. Like with searching for the calendar, like for example, if I'm, I've, if I'm looking at the calendar events, uh, directly through, through the Google calendar page, I need to open, open Chrome or Safari or whatever, and then open calendar page or find, find my, my GitHub page. Right. So it's still searching through a lot of tabs. Uh, on your system, 
and with the menu bar app, you just like have an instant, uh, like one, one you're one click away from from seeing your calendar or seeing pull requests. It's just like a lot easier, uh, and you don't have to keep your browser open. It just like syncs everything in the background. Background. I mean, the the, the notifications, and everything like that they look really really native, but these are all built with widgets or they're actually flutter stuff or because i'm i'm kind of curious because it looks like real native like mac os stuff on the screenshots yeah we basically we built them with flutter and what we do is um as we had mentioned before we're using a package called window manager um from the people at lean, lean flutter i think they're the original creators um their package is, is quite strong and allows you to like do several modifications to like windows um inside of both windows and mac os We've modified a bit uh, their package to so that we can basically build uh, a transparent um, background for all of our windows. And then we just set the size and modify it as we need it. So it's basically just our notifications are just Flutter widgets uh, that we've customized and just show them there. Um, also, we use the like that window manager package with their like with the modifications we've done. We can just show that. Uh, on demand and we can just customize the design of the notifications with Flutter, which is, yeah, we are, we have a, a great designer working with us. Um, shout out to Bart, by the way. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's like so creative and, and like his designs are super cool and just being able to uh, not depend on the native stuff, but being able to like customize the experience of, of like our brand in the product is, is really convenient for us. Okay. Yeah, has there been any designs that come in that you think are really like impossible to do, or because it seems like you guys are doing some really cool stuff with these windows? We we had to a couple of issues with like uh, multi supporting multiple windows, for example. Uh, Rafa was now exploring like the ability to to do that, like with the window manager package. It's like it's it's kind of kind of interesting that there's like no like a recommended like way of, by Flutter to manage windows. Uh, there is no way to you know to resize windows, show multiple windows, uh, reposition windows, and there's there's like a, a few different packages that solve that problem, uh, but there's no like ideal way to do that, right? Uh, and we are looking into we know that there's like a super list app, and they they are using they have their own plugin for uh, for w window management. It's called Native Shell, I believe. And it has like a lot of functionality regarding uh, the multi-window support, drag and drop, all the plat and the native platform menus, or uh, like it offers a lot. Uh, we just haven't experimented with that yet. But it's just interesting to to, to know that this is not such an easy thing uh, when building the desktop app. The, the window management can can be tricky. Yeah, for sure. Showing two windows at the same time is is like a, a challenge that we're currently trying to um to tackle. Like I've I've been able to show two two different windows, but then you have to take into account the size and where you position them, and it's like getting the bounds of of like the um, the icon, and you, you can get the the bounds uh with the from our menu icon. Uh, but then if you have multiple displays, then it, it may be a little bit um. Yeah, like the, the bounce that you get could be swapped around and there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when building such a, such a um, um, unique tool in a sense, at least with Flutter or, or for like what, what has been built with Flutter applications. 
And yeah, showing the second window has been uh, quite a challenge. But we were sure that like either with uh, Native Shell and like by researching what they've worked on uh, or by like adapting our own like window manager solution to that, uh, we could probably eventually do that. Now, is there any other kind of issues that really are painful when you're switching over to desktop from web? Maybe one of the issues uh, was uh, there's no like, I'm not sure if there's there's like an issue, if that's an issue on web, but definitely like we don't have Flutter does not offer any like application lifecycle uh, for desktop, right, Rafa? So we had to deal with that uh, in a couple of ways. Like, so what I mean by that is, for example, for mobile, you, Flutter offers API to know when your app is getting killed or uh, put into foreground or, back, or or background. But in case of desktop, you you don't have all that, that information. Uh, so, for example, when in our app we are we have like a real time socket co connection with with the server, uh, and if you close your laptop, if it goes to sleep, after some time the, the socket connection could break, uh, and Flutter API does not inform us that there is like a uh, that your device uh, was put into a sleep mode. So because of that, we had to implement like some custom logic, custom solution for um, li listening to like a application sleep states states of macOS app, uh, and just know when your device wakes up. And in that case, we can uh, we can wake up the socket as well, right? <laughs> so it's it's a bit more uh, implementation, yeah, because like Flutter does not offer that API out of the box. Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought that they would have that because you already have that within. Like you said, within iOS and Android, right? Yeah, exactly. There's there's an open issue for that. I I was actually looking at that yesterday. Uh, it's not supported yet, but it's on the roadmap. Yeah, and also the lifecycle seems to be a little bit different in Windows and Mac, which, I mean, it makes sense that it's it's different. But for us, it's just like that person, that uh, that problem that Bart was mentioning about, like the, um, the computer coming back from sleep. And that's mainly a problem in Mac OS, but in Windows, we've been researching and studying it and like testing it a lot, and we don't really see that problem. So it's just like maybe Windows gives a uh, higher priority to that, um, yeah, to the, to the application um, than Mac OS does. Uh, so like, yeah, being able to um, just like fetch information right after sleep, we actually had to build a method channel just to know that, um, yeah, that yeah, the computer had gone back from sleep. It's something that uh, it's different in macOS than it is in Windows. So it, it would be really good that it would be really good to have like a, a proper lifecycle documentation for both macOS and Windows, which I think yeah, they might just be different. So it may not be the same as as in mobile that you know like uh, when an application is terminated, you know when the widget is uh, is closed. Uh, at least in the yeah in the application lifecycle, uh, it, it's the same for for both Android and iOS, I, I think. Yeah, definitely. But also like uh, you asked about like, what was the issue with moving from web to desktop? I know uh, you had an issue with Agora SDK, right, Rafa? Uh, when moving from between platforms. Yeah, sure. Um, so one thing that was quite problematic was that um, we were using the web application as a dependency of the desktop application. And the web application included uh, Agora for video calling, right? So um, just signing all of the code inside of the pods that you use in in the macOS application, like 
Apple wants you to sign everything, staple everything, and um, basically run the app inside of uh, either a sandbox mode or a non -sand not sandbox mode, uh, just being able to sign everything and, and add all of the required notarizations and, and everything required by Apple was impossible to do with this uh, SDK. So we actually had to remove it and just uh, stop depending on the package altogether. Um, yeah, it's it's quite the challenge because like Apple really wants you to go the Mac App Store way. And for what we wanted to build, uh, we were not sure that like having a sandbox application, which are the ones that are allowed inside of the Mac App Store was ideal. Uh, so we, yeah, we had to deal with a lot of issues with just like code that you use, dependencies that you use, not being properly notarized or not being properly signed. And yeah, that was a little bit of a, a challenge for us. Something that you like, you don't really think about when you do Flutter web, you just like use it and it's just the web is, is a little bit more permissive with that stuff. Not even that too, like even when you're developing, right? I mean, you don't have this signing issue until you actually go to deploy it. And then, so basically you didn't discover this until you went to actually sign it and then you're like oh my god this is how do you explain to you know like a product manager or owner that you're running something like this it's 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 yeah it's quite complex because it's not something you expect a, uh, at all it's just like you, you think of yeah signing the application it's like this easy step there's a script for it and also like there's no like super um a super clear way to do that. There's like several um, CLI tools that you can use from Apple, but like some get deprecated super quickly. And it's like you build something and like it, it, it needs to be updated fairly quick. But yeah, it's like you expect it to be just like you use the CLI tool, you notarize everything, you sign everything, you staple everything. It just works. It doesn't just work. And then just explaining this, it's just like it's just a bunch of problems that you don't expect when when just uh, building a deployment workflow. Yeah. Like also at the same time, you you talked about the sandbox mode uh, for for the app. Uh, it's like also a new keyword to to know when you are building a Flutter desktop app. Like for macOS, like the app can be in, in the sandbox mode or in a non-sandbox mode. Uh, and Apple expects you to to go with the sandbox, of course. So it's like limited in terms of permissions, like and safer. Uh, but of course, like if you want to develop some features. Uh, for example, if you want to launch, launch the app on startup uh, of your uh, of your device, for example, you have to go with the non-sandbox -sand mode because sandbox mode would, would not be supported uh, for some reason, right? Uh, so there are certain plugins plugins that do not work if you go with the sandbox mode, uh, which is not, not ideal. Uh, but it's also similar with Windows. Uh, there are some pack packages that if you decide to publish your app as uh, in, in the exe format or uh, MSI, MSIX format, I'm not sure which one was it, but there's there's one format that is not supported by some of the packages. So you need to go with one specific format uh, to work with some of the packages. This is this is also like interesting. Oh, that's that's painful. So I'm guessing again, you find this out when you go to build the package, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you just like read the documentation and it, it says like only this format is supported or like you build the package and then you get the error. That's like, yeah. The other thing that comes into mind too is like, I know uh, like whenever you want to use say your documents or your desktop folder, I think also and quite a few other folders you have to, the user has to click yes on Mac, which is a little bit annoying. Like, you know, 
how do you handle if somebody says no for something that you need? I mean, do you, do you, do you build that in? I like, cause I know I ran into one issue for a package where this is for iOS though, where it asks you to read some of your health data. And if you say no, um, even if you ask again, it's always going to return true, no matter what the user says that basically true. Like, like it sounds like they said yes, but that's because the answer of true is only telling you that, yeah, we asked already not yes. They gave us permission, which you'd figure that would make more sense. But actually the, at that time, Things may have changed since then. This was a couple of years ago, but at that time, that was the only thing you could do. You could just ask. And then they only said, like, if you want to know if it works or not, if you try to read data and you get no data, then you can assume that you don't have permission. It's like, well, what if they didn't move or what if the thing didn't happen, right? You know, you have no idea. We, we haven't faced any problems like that of, of like having to request permissions inside of macOS, but like I've seen them in iOS and, and yeah, it's just like, uh, like you say, it's... It's just like you don't really know what what the what the output is of what you're requesting, and it's um I guess it's hard to really inform the user of or of what their next action should be, and also like I think um like inside of the regulations you shouldn't really um take the user to a settings page to change a setting uh to for like permissions, which is also something that you need to take into account because like you want to like mentioned that probably they need to like grant permissions again um but you shouldn't properly take them there to that uh like make them uh go to the settings application and do it and do it uh manually you're saying you should not take them there that didn't make sense for me to actually take them there yeah i think like in in terms of their regulation i i need to reread this again but i had read that like if the user had like declined um permissions then you should not actually take them to the settings uh to a settings page like you you should like mention it or or de describe the problem but you shouldn't make them uh yeah change it like you cannot change it from from code right and you shouldn't really take them to the settings page it's like the, there's a lot of regulations like this which you need to be super careful about okay yeah i i think what you can do is you can give provide a way for them to tap to go there, but you cannot proactively just take them there when you know there's a problem. Or you have to kind of warn them, I think, right? Because at least that's what I've seen before is that even they show like a screenshot of what you need to do, or they tell you what to do, and then there's a uh, some text or something, and it says, oh, tap here to take you to permissions, and then you tap on it, and then it takes you over there. That's what I think I've seen. Maybe that's what the regulation is, and that makes some sense. It's likely. It's likely. It's just a matter of like how you interpret it and how... Um... Yeah, how how it how how you can like be legally safe from from what uh, the the actual text says, right? So it makes a lot of sense that it is that you you can like show it, but not uh, take them there automatically, and you you need to warn them. Maybe that's that's the one, and I was just a little bit confused. Yeah, it could be. Or things change. I mean, they they change these rules all the time, and you have to stay up to date. Uh, it's, it's kind of an annoying. And then, uh, have you guys run into the to the issue where it's like you? So, so oh wait, you're not putting us into any of the stores, is that right? You said you're distributing everything off of your your own server. Yeah. Okay, because I'm gonna say the other thing that I run into is like, have you guys ever done an iOS store before? But you get these like it depends on what the guy feels like. So if you get a reviewer who's having a bad day, then he just denies you for something weird, and then you ask for for permission or or you, or you whatever you, you could just maybe do nothing, and you just kind of say no, this is fine. And then like the next reviewer would be like, yeah, yeah, this is great. And then they just approve it. You're, you didn't do anything. 
other than just say check it again or something like that have you guys ever ever had this problem before i mean not obviously with your app because you're not going to the store right no not not with boss but uh yeah like <laughs> it depends on the mood of who's checking like they can they can get you for a lot of things and they they're I think it's in, in the Play Store as well. They're not supposed to tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. Uh, so you have to like figure out, you'll just get a, like some text with like, this is the this is the, the, the regulation, this is what the regulation states, but you have to actually interpret it. And there are many teams that are like incorporating just like legal people to be able to be always compliant with this. I did want to ask one more question about the life cycles, right? Um... And I think what you said already makes sense, right? So, you know, I put my laptop, I close the screen, um, then, you know, I open it back up like maybe a couple hours later because I'm in commute or whatever. Obviously, making a refresh of data would make sense. Is there any other life cycle that you guys hook into? Uh, there is also, um, yeah, we are listening to the internet connection uh, status, right? Uh, so before we, I know we were using the connectivity blast package to just like get the current connection status uh, whether it's like a Wi-Fi or a cellular connection. Uh, but I remember there was an issue with having uh, VPN. Uh, so whenever you connect to VPN, uh, the package would, would report that you are not connected to internet at all. Uh, so I think, Rafa, you landed on the solution that just to use like internet connection checker, just to check like every 10 seconds or so, we would just check for the the connection status by calling some known DNS providers. Uh, and then if, if there's no connection or if we, if we get back the connection, then we would reconnect the socket, right? Uh, so it's also like one mechanism. Yeah, that was actually documented. Um, the issue has been documented for macOS in the Connectivity Plus package. It's just sometimes depending on the VPN that the user is, is using, you could get like a like you could get a disconnected status for their, their current internet connection. And it's just, yeah, it, it was quite problematic because we have a lot of companies trying the application uh, who use um, VPNs. And yeah, we, we just couldn't figure out like what, what was going wrong here. Uh, if like we were not able to, if there was something with the server or they were, and eventually we figured out that it was probably due to the VPN just in, just blocking them from uh, connecting. It, it's, um, a problem with that package and yeah the solution was that we looked at the like uh, there's a list of recommended dns uh yeah dns addresses that you should test uh just to check if the connection is stable i think it's open dns uh, i'm not sure if google as well uh and, and we just use that to figure out if the user really is or not connected to the internet instead of uh Connectivity Plus, which is, I guess, the most uh, the most popular package for checking that. Yeah, but behind a, behind a corporate firewall, though, sometimes you have to set the proxy in the actual application itself, though. But somehow you're able to hook into some kind of system wide proxy all the time, or do you actually provide that like that proxy setting for people who are in a corporate? I don't think we've like we've run into that yet. <laughs> but when we do, we'll make sure to like uh, take that uh, the, the proxy into account. We, I, I don't think we've, um, we have any uh, super corporate uh, clients with like, but I, I know that they've used uh, the, the, the VPN from their company, right? Um, but it's just, I, I'm not sure like how we should add that. Not, not a problem we've run into so far. Okay. I mean, the other thing that what I did on my side for, for the mobile app is um, we have a, 
a WebSocket. And so if you're logged in, um, we have a WebSocket connection. If it's connected, then we put like this green ring around your avatar. And then like, if you put your phone to airplane mode, like that's how we tested it, then that green ring would turn to a red ring because that connection obviously got severed. And then once it gets reconnected, then we go back online. So that's been helpful, at least for us uh, to kind of stuff. So we, we didn't try the internet checking thing. And I think I remember the issue about the VPN. Also the same thing on iOS, I think. So that sounds familiar. But yeah, that's how we worked on it for our side because it's, I did hear you guys are using WebSocket also, right? Yeah. So that could also be a solution too without, like you said, you, right now you're just what, doing a, a poll like every 10 seconds you said? Yeah, just to check if the if the internet connection is is stable. Yeah, we just uh, connect to a DNS. To I, th I think it's three DNSs, the recommended ones from OpenDNS and Google. And we just check that. Uh, and if we don't get a, a successful connection after trying, then we assume that the, the user doesn't have an internet connection. Now, what could happen is that they just don't have connection to your service now. How do you handle that issue? Because that would say you're online, but you just cannot connect to the, the server. Yeah, we basically, if there if there are issues connecting to our server specifically, we have another um, another widget that we basically uh, wrap. And if you can't connect to our WebSocket or can't connect to our server, we'll just show that uh, as feedback to the user. Yeah, we would just keep trying to reconnect every, like with some strategy, like maybe every two seconds or every 10 seconds, I don't remember at the moment, but we would just try reconnecting that, in that case. Okay. And and for the app, right, is the app mostly that like top widget bar on on Mac OS? Or is it actually like a real app that's windowed and everything? So it's when you click on when you click on the menu icon, you get a, a small window that you can actually in Mac OS you can drag and you can move. And then if you tap on the options menu, which is on the top right corner, you can actually open uh, the settings window, which is a larger window which looks more like a proper application. And you can also um, just play around with uh, with that. So we have two or three different types of uh, smaller windows, but it's just it's not really just the menu options that you would get on other um, menu bar uh, applications. It's not just like um, like when you right click and you get a context menu, you would actually get a window when uh, opening an application, a small window that like hides when you click outside of it. So that's um, how we usually do things. And then the notifications also appear right uh, behind the, the menu icon in Mac OS and on top of the menu icon on Windows. But yeah, we also like, we encourage people to try uh, Boss. It's like, there's a lot of things that we think could be uh, useful, especially for developers. And if you want to try it, just uh, look us up at joinboss.com and for sure you'll, you'll, uh, you can test it for yourself. I'm kind of curious, are you guys looking to also integrate with a mobile app too? Because so many people are, are always out on the go or whatever. Like for me, I'm always jumping to meetings. Could be sometimes offsite, sometimes inside. I'm not always at my PC. Like, does it make sense for you guys to also invest in something like that and then start adding in like widgets for your your phone with a new way you have widgets now on iOS? Is that something you're gonna be taking a look at anytime soon? I, I don't think that's like a priority for now, uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely interesting idea to to do that. Like I, I would see myself using, using that for when I'm away for sure. Yeah. We, it's something we've talked about and like with, with, uh, us using Flutter, it, it's just a matter of like deciding that we want to go that route. Um, but we, we, it, it's not in, in our, um, priorities for the moment. It is like, if it is something we've discussed and I think most likely we'll end up uh, launching a mobile application as well at some point.
So pretty much the limit that's it's limitless. You just have to figure out where to spend your where, where to prioritize, right? What to prioritize next? Yeah, yeah. That's that's why you get with Flutter in the end. It's just um, you need to adopt a few a few things. I, I I guess in our case we have an advantage over other um, desktop applications, and it's that we don't really have to think about responsive design too much, as our, our window is usually the main the same size. It stays stays the same size. So like when when we're looking at uh, what our designer has worked on, we basically just follow it pixel to pixel. And same thing for the larger uh, setting size, we, we have like a thing like an aspect radio, ratio that we have to maintain. And then uh, we, we just keep that. Also for notifications, it's quite similar. We can just, we know the exact size that the window is gonna be. So that part is quite convenient for us. If we go the mobile way, we also need to figure out like how this, um, how this content will look like on mobile screens. Yeah, that, that is a problem too. Yeah, I understand. Well, it's, it's good that you have that small window, right? It makes life easier. So that's, that is nice. Yeah, and it's something you can access at any point. I, I think that's like one of the biggest advantages. It's just like, it, it's right there. You check it when you want, you close it when you, when you don't need it anymore. And then it just, it's always there silently. And when you want to check if you have meetings that day, or if you want to check uh, what your PR looks like right now, or if you have a PR to review, you can just open it real quick. If you want to check where your teammates are up to, you can just, it's like two clicks away. Um, you don't really have to like find that specific tab when you have, where you have your calendar or where you have your PR, or <laughs> if you have your, uh, like that's something I do sometimes. It's just like I get my pull request in like five different tabs, and you don't really have to like tab browse just to get to where you want. It's like everything at a click. What's uh, what's next on the horizon for features coming to to Buzz? Yeah, one one for sure is uh, what we were talking about about being able to see a second window. What we want to do with that is show um, your teammates. Uh, like public events in their calendar and also like the pull requests that they've been assigned, the pull requests that they're working on. So being able to see what your teammates are up to um, uh, more specifically is something that we're currently working on. And I think it's going to be one of the features that we launch uh, fairly soon. Yeah, there, there's also a part of uh, the GitHub integration that we want to get improved. Uh, so we are now getting as much feedback uh, from users as we can just to understand like what's actually what's needed uh, uh, to show and like maybe maybe some PR analytics would be interesting to know like how much time it takes for example for for the whole work to get approved uh, to get reviewed uh, to get merged uh, things like that like we are looking into understanding what's needed for better productivity I guess yeah I I, I can imagine that there'd be a lot of uh, managers who want to know how long things are taking because they always want to know where's my money going. If I pay X, what's the output of my X? And if I times that by two, you know, there's always this kind of problem that you're going to have, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, also in that line, uh, I guess for, for product teams, eventually we will probably add uh, integrations to like Jira and other uh, like task management, well, I don't know if, if you could call them task management, but you know, um, agile and, and Kanban solutions so that like you can see where your, what your uh, current tickets are and you can see what everyone is working on. That's also uh, a feature that we uh, may be working uh, on in the, yeah, maybe releasing in the near future, if all goes well. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I mean, 
Is there is there something else that we should know more about what's going on with with Buzz before we we sign off? I think we're approaching the end of our time now. Um, no, we would just like invite you, as as I said, to test the application and and uh, yeah, if you want to see something uh, different built with Flutter, uh, go ahead and test it. Uh, Joinbuzz.com. If if uh, you want to reach us at any time, if you have any problems with it, if you just want to try it, just either um, download the application or contact us. Uh, and yeah, for sure, we're uh, always happy to answer all of your questions. What if they? What if people in the audience want to get in touch with you guys to hear more? Or maybe they they want to exchange some more information about you know Flutter desktop development or things like that. How can they get in hold of you? Sure. So um, my personal Twitter account is at Ortiz Zable. Uh, as uh, sorry, O R T I S O R T I Z Z A B L E H. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and you can follow Boss uh, at uh, let me check at Join Boss uh, Join Boss uh, underscore. Uh, Bart, what's, uh, if you have your Twitter account? I have updated my name to include my Twitter account. It should be B and then my, my last name uh, here. I'm, I'm happy to talk about any Flutter development or just if you have any questions about Bass or if you want to try out the app, I'm open to discussions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for Bart's Twitter account, it's one to spell out. It's B-S-E-L-W-E. S I U K. Yes. Oof, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I know. Uh, awesome. Yeah. It was great having you guys on. I didn't, I didn't realize there's so many things lacking in desktop. I, I always heard that desktop is pretty, pretty, like they say it's production ready. Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess having lifecycle hookins is not going to stop the stop everything, but I was just imagining since we already have that in flutter for mobile, it just makes sense that we'd have it for desktop. I'm just surprised it's not there. I mean, web, I can understand a little bit, but why would it be lacking in, in desktop, it's just strange. It's it's quite stable, uh, as we mentioned, like to build apps in Flutter for desktop, but it's just lacking some some APIs. You can you can get around that, so that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess our case also was quite uh, specific, as as our application is is not just a regular uh, window application, but we're just building a menu bar app, uh, which is yeah, it comes with you know it, it's set of challenges as as uh, I mentioned before. Yeah, but waking from sleep and pulling data seems very normal, right? I, I mean, I background apps all the time on, on well, you have to on your phone, right? So, of course, that makes sense. But not having that on desktop, I mean, it, I guess it's not a showstopper. It just seems a little bit strange that it's not in there. But, I mean, there's just too many things to, to port over. So, I guess it, there's not going to be feature parity for everything, right? Yeah, it's something you would expect, for sure. It's just... um. Yeah, in our case, it's just like some information wasn't getting fetched as soon as you open it, and, and we had to come up with this uh, with this method channel for calling that basically as, as it wasn't built in. Well, it's good to hear. I'm, I'm happy to hear your guys decided. I learned a lot today about what's possible with desktop app in Flutter. So it's good to hear your your frustrations and finally solving it has, has made my life easier for the future if this ever comes up for me again. <laughs> I, pr- I appreciate you the, the blood and sweat and tears from your side and I'll, I'll be having tears of joy when I zoom past these issues now for sure Alan, uh, thank you very much for having us I, I thank you guys for, for coming on it's it's been a pleasure to hear about uh, you know your switch from web to, to desktop you don't hear that too often usually people go from desktop to web just because there's less issues certain in, in packaging etc right but it's interesting to hear you guys go the other way around yeah yeah thank, thank you very much for hosting All right, much appreciated thanks for coming on